becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the songs. Welcome to Shores of Ignorance. Yes, uh, we're here. <laughs> Just had a feeling a little silly tonight. Uh huh. Well, we started off the last episode. Hey, everybody, I'm back. <laughs> um, I'm back again. Hey, uh, we started awesome. off the last episode with game. Thought of another game. Oh yeah. Truth or dare. Oh. <laughs> Can we, we can't, it's hard to do dares <laughs> I know, so we only, with headphones on. Only truth. Only truth. Okay. Allison, <laughs> truth, truth or truth. Or truth. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> You're no fun. No, Michael said we couldn't play. He really? Like, Stop trying to usurp my podcast. <laughs> it's me and Matt's podcast, not yours. <laughs> I thought I was like, whose name is on that podcast? <laughs> I don't see your name on there. Yeah, totally. She's like, it's my last name. She's our favorite guest, though. I know. Aw, thanks. <laughs> the returning, returning, returning. Did yes. you have any truth questions that you would ask? If, if Okay, truth me. Truth you. I dare you to truth me. Ooh, okay, fun. Truth or dare? Uh-huh. Oh, man. It's real hard to you stay. You didn't come prepared. Appropriate, I didn't. You don't um, need to be appropriate. This is a podcast. <laughs> oh, the... Uh, um, okay, truth or dare? Are you going to write a song this year? Truth? Uh, well, yes. Yeah, definitely. And that we're going to hear by the end of the year. Yes, I will. I'll do it. I have a couple That's of ideas right now. That was more of a dare now. than it was a truth. <clears throat> that was more it was of like a dare. A truth oh, that dare. was a dare, wasn't it? And also, yeah. it's, uh, can I tell the truth about the future? Not really. Like, okay. I, I intend to write a song. I don't know if that will happen. Okay. Would your future kind of not up to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you got, you got to ask my muse or my Damon or. Okay, so I'm trying to remember like the truth or dare games I've played in the past. It's been a minute. Um, <laughs> for how old were you when you had your first kiss? Thirteen. Damn, that was 13. good. Sarah Sill. Huh. Was laser, a girlfriend? Laser light show at Fiesta Texas, San Antonio. Huh. The laser light show. Yeah. Wow, that's so Rico Suave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it, she was my girlfriend, and the kiss was coming for a very long time, and then it happened, and it freaked me out. So I broke up with her the next day. What? Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Freaked me out. It, what? It freaked out? How? Gives more specifics. <clears throat> I'm trying to put myself out? in the emotional state of the thirteen-year-old yeah. me. <clears throat> I don't know. It felt like. I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for that, like, laser light show, like, first kiss. It was like, pow, pow, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just freaked out the next day. I was like, this is too much. I can't do this. I don't know. I can't. This is too much pressure. <laughs> this like, isn't right. Like, you're going to have to do it again? No. Like, not that I, I would have liked to have done it again, I think. I just, it was all so much. Right. <laughs> like, the intimacy level just, like, yeah, escalated. Through the roof. In, insanely. Yeah. And you weren't ready for that. Right. And so I broke up with her and then I immediately regretted that too. I wasn't thinking clearly. <laughs> like I mean, every other. 13, I wasn't thinking, boy. comma, clearly. <laughs> also, I wasn't thinking clearly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and so I was like, it was a mistake. And she was like, too late. <laughs> Ooh. And she pulled pulled the, the woman power. She like should have put a ring on it. Should have put a ring on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then we became friends again in high school. Did y'all date again? Or no, never no. dated again. How long had you been a thing before the kiss? Oh, not long. Um, a matter of months, maybe. Okay. Yeah. First girlfriend. Yeah. If you don't count, um, oh, what was her name? Alyssa in kindergarten. We don't count Alyssa no. <laughs> in kindergarten. <laughs> Ironically, this reminds me that my first French kiss was in a round of Truth or Dare. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people's are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe mine was too. You don't remember? I don't remember. <laughs> this is why you're no fun at Truth or Dare, because you don't remember we're not, shit. We're not doing <laughs> diving into Michael's past this episode. That's an upcoming episode. Upcoming episode. When Michael went crazy. Right. <laughs> I'm ready for that. Ready for it. Mm-hmm. What about this one? Truth? Yeah. I like it. That was a good segue, by the way. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. So we spent the last two episodes talking about lying, and we want to talk about the other side. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to tell the truth? Or live in truth. Both, yeah. Yeah. And I think that the thing we've kind of run up against is on both of the last two episodes, we've sort of said that not lying isn't the same thing as telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Those aren't... Lying and truth are not opposites. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I think you quoted Peterson saying, tell the truth or at least don't lie. Mm-hmm. So it's possible to not lie, but also not tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is it? What is it to tell the truth? What does that mean? Well, it does seem like there's, there's something with, uh, you know, to tell the truth uh, or at least don't lie. It's like, you might not know what is true, mm-hmm. but you can do your best at least not lie about something you know and i, I kind of see that that like you know even like you were talking about your relationship with uh, the 13 you know yeah it's like it's like you're trying to be true to something you know but you really didn't know what that was you're being true to right and then you broke up with her you're like oh no uh <laughs> let's go back out you know right. it's like it's like it was a mistake it was a mistake yeah. yeah so there's a certain exploration to truth where lying is something it's it's it usually has to do with something that is known yeah. and that you're either not coming to terms with or outwardly denying or, or outrightly denying. You mm-hmm. know? I heard it said on a podcast this week, um, and this resonates with me deeply, that when we lie, it's because we are trying to, um, it's because we feel scared, unsafe, insecure. So lying is a way, a strategy we use to protect ourselves. Hmm. Well, that's interesting because I do think that telling the truth necessarily puts you in a place of, I was going to say insecurity. I don't know that, if that's exactly vulnerability. it. Vulnerability? It does. It puts you in a place of vulnerability. It puts you in a place of, I mean, I think in a certain sense, telling the truth requires that something else dies. I mean, sort of like making a decision. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this definition on the pod before, but yeah. <clears throat> apparently the, the root word for decision in, I guess, Greek or something means to slay, mm-hmm. which kind of makes perfect sense because when you make a decision, you are deciding between two things or maybe more things. But once the decision is made, there is only one thing. Mm-hmm. 
one thing is eaten as opposed to the other thing, or one thing is taken care of as opposed to all the other things that could have been taken care of. And so there's, there's some amount of death involved in deciding something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Telling the truth is, is kind of the same. It brings something into reality and into, and into focus at the expense of other things. Yeah. That's a scary proposition because mm-hmm. you lose potentiality. You mm-hmm. lose the options that a lie might afford you that, mm-hmm. that might gain you time to figure out what the truth is or figure out how you feel about the truth even. Yeah. I can definitely see it with lying more specifically. I think like, you know, if you, if you do lie, it's like you are putting a death or putting slaying the truth. You know, it's like, um, but then telling the truth, it just seems like there's more possibility if you tell the truth. Hmm. Like, I don't know. <clears throat> At least in my mind, when you were saying that, like, I could see like the slaying part happening and mm-hmm. lying, but not in telling the truth. Like when I think of like telling the truth, it actually opens up more possibilities, but I guess maybe lying does too, but they seem like it's all, they're all dead ends because they just build on a lie on a lie on a lie. And it's like, how do you keep, all those lies together, you know? Well, I think telling the truth opens up possibilities which are somehow outside of your control. Mm -hmm. Lying opens up possibilities that are within your control. That's why you do it. Mm -hmm. Perceived control. Because you feel in control. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to feel insecure, scared, vulnerable. So you take control of that by taking control of the narrative, but you tell the truth, it does open up a world of potential, Mm. but it's an unknown potential, but at least it's the real potential. It's the real world. Oh, interesting. Well, it almost comes back to that, uh, um, you texted us earlier today about when Jesus talks about, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of an, even an idea in that, that, when you do tell the truth or know the truth, like the potentiality, there's like this freedom because you don't know what's going to happen next. Um, Yeah. I used to hear that verse and imagine it sort of quite simply as the truth as a sort of thing that I could find and then I'll be free. Mm. Like a one time Yeah, like it's out there, and once I get it or tell it or have it, then I'll be free. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But now I think about it more in terms of, well, what is it setting me free from? Mm -hmm. And in the case of the alternative from telling the truth, which is to, well, either be in confusion or to lie, Mm -hmm at least on the lying side, I'm not free because I'm constantly having to track what is my lie? What is reality? Otherwise my lie falls apart. I've got to keep up with all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm in control of the narrative. I'm in control. No new <clears throat> input, you know, can come in from reality without having to go through the filter uh, of my lie. Yeah. And now I'm a slave uh-huh. to that. The truth by comparison sets me free from that prison 
Mm. And that's not an arrival point. And maybe that's the point of freedom. Like that's a beginning point. Yeah. It's always a process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which would make sense. Um, you know, thinking, uh, uh, maybe this is any, Enneagram frame, maybe it's not, but that we are, we're born so vulnerable, so needy, and we are born into a world that is imperfect, where our needs are imperfectly met, and so we develop strategies in order to self-protect, and they work, and they work, and they work, and we build and build and build a, a psyche around those strategies um, based off a primal and initial fear of insecurity. And and so becoming an adult and choosing to speak the truth would be a continual process of mm-hmm. knowing your inner, knowing and experiencing an inner security that allows you to um, release a hold on the the strategies and the lies that we build up to protect ourselves. So in that way, it would be like a lifetime process of becoming free, yeah, becoming whole. I think that we're when we're not living in the truth of who we are, there's a a division, a fragmentation, a inner dissonance yeah. that we can't we can't really escape without a lot of, um, a lot more disconnection. Hmm. It's like what we were talking about with lying last week, that lying prevents you from getting the opportunity to actually look at what's there, to examine how you feel about what's true, to examine what the ramifications of that might be. This is the unknown potential that truth brings. And lying prevents you from knowing it. And in that way, prevents you from being whole, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. And Peterson talks about that, too, in that chapter. Hmm. Um, that to, to engage in the pursuit of truth is, is necessarily a voyage into the unknown. Yeah. But that a choice to remain in what's known and deeming that to be all that needs to be known is the lie of totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Can you say that again? I... See, I knew I should have brought the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that, okay. makes, that okay. makes a lot of I, sense I got to it. me. I was just, I was just curious. Like you, you said it really well. I just, uh, um, I think that that last part just kind of shocked me a little bit because yeah. I was like, there's some things that I've been thinking about with the totalitarianism and then Vaslav Havel talks about post totalitarianism huh. and how I think we might've talked about this on the last podcast, but um, totalitarianism is a power structure, which you have somebody in power and you have someone who's being the, who's subjected. Right. And then post totalitarianism is where the subject is both victim and oppressor. And so by participating in the lie, they're both the, the sub, the, uh, the object of the oppressive, uh, they're both the oppressed and the person who's doing the oppression because they are participating <laughs> in the, wow. in the lie. 
I feel like we're seeing a lot of this right now. Uh huh. I mean, this is wokeness. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. By participating in it, you're both the oppressor and the oppressed. Mm-hmm. And it perpetuates the whole thing down the aisle of madness. Mm-hmm. And at any one time, you can be honored as the woke or the oppressor. Well, and, and in that system, in that contract, telling the truth is absolutely forbidden. Mm-hmm. Because the truth would resolve the whole thing or evaporate the whole thing. Well, in, in that system, there is no truth. I mean, that's that's the whole, that's why it's such a confusing system. It's all situational and subjective and culturally constructed. Um, uh, James Lindsay and them get into that. It's like the whole, like there's a, uh, a political and a knowledge principle. And one is the, the whole idea of like everything is socially constructed. And the other part is that, um, that's all based on a power hierarchy mm-hmm. is the political statement in that. But I think when we get into that at another time, because we're yeah. both, we're both kind of still digging into that <clears> one. <throat> right. But it did, did make me think of the Václav Havel sort of like, you know, how, if you don't live in truth, uh, you either can become the oppressor or the oppressed or both hmm. in your life, you know? Yeah. Cause you, you have to oppress other people in order to, to continue the lie, you know? Right. Or if you don't see yourself as an, as an agent, it's like you are the oppressed and you're not being a, uh, you're sort of the benefactor of the lie mm-hmm. in that position. Yeah. Yeah. Cause as long as you live in the confines of that lie, then you're safe, you know? Right. Um, so talking about telling the truth, I want to get deeper into what that means to tell the truth, but I also want to, I'm going to make a a slight, um, side, side, uh, side road exit, but then we're going to get back (laughs) on. We're going to get on the frontage road for a second. Um, (laughs) so talking about truth opening, opening you up to unknown potential, I think, you know, maybe it's rooted in Christianity. I don't know, but there is this idea that the truth is at least in some ways talked about, not as some quantifiable big T objective final destination. It, Jesus says, I am the truth. Mm -hmm. And I think he's hinting or, or that you know, whoever wrote that is hinting at the idea that telling that the truth itself is relational, mm-hmm. which makes perfect sense. If I think about the potential that telling the truth opens me up to and the potential that it opens me up to is unknown. I don't know what that is. I don't know the ramifications or, you, you know, maybe the story we were telling last week, Allison, about you, it's like, you don't know the ramifications of telling, of responding to my dinner party text the way that you did. You're now in relationship with the unknown. Mm-hmm. And as is, I think, predictably the case, telling the truth grows more truth. And you don't know what I am going to say back to you truthfully. And now you are in a relationship with the truth. And I think that's such a perfect way to conceive of what the truth is. It isn't 
the guy on Don't Lie to Me or uh, what's that show? Lie to Me, mm-hmm. who just sort of says everything that comes to his brain. That's not the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just Tourette's. <laughs> uh, well, I think there's some, a distinction to be made here because uh, uh, it's kind of like a foundation of like a kind of metaphysical foundation is that it's all, it, there is a part of like how you perceive the world and how you will take this conversation. So myself, and I, I believe you guys also fit in this category too. It's like, like, like I believe that there is something true outside of myself. Mm-hmm. Like there's something, whether I can know it or not, and at what degree I can know that yeah. is a question but it's a base, basic axiom that this is that there is something true outside of myself, whether I think it or don't think it, it remains true, and that I have a subjective experience of that truth. So, <clears throat> but I think it's really foundational in how you approach the world because if you do not have that perspective, then everything is subjective. If there's not an objective reality outside of ourselves then everything is subjective and you kind of, that's kind of where a lot of this postmodernism is at is that, you know, your truth, my truth, our truth, and mm-hmm. it can be different from other people's truths. But, uh, something that we do here on the shores is sort of like, there is something to be known that's outside of ourselves and we are seeking to know what that is. Um, right. so I think that's a, I think it's a really foundational part of how we're approaching this. So it's not that we're, we're not just saying, you know, this abstract truth concept we're saying is that no, there's something real to be known. If that makes sense. Yes. And there's something to be real, something real to be known within, within yourself. Well, yeah, I'm just talking about in the relational aspect of it. Like, you cannot you cannot understand yourself without some sort of reference point outside mm-hmm. of yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you don't have a reference point, then you have nothing to compare. Mm-hmm. So there is something true within us, mm-hmm. but we have to compare it to something outside of ourselves. Right. Uh, I mean, it's like a, a you know, anytime you're going anywhere, you need a destination and you need to know where you're at, and so you can get pointed in the right direction. Right. And you can compare where you are on the journey by knowing you know what that is and i'm just kind of saying that that sort of metaphysical reality that there is something objectively true outside of ourselves that we (laughs) use as a reference point well there must be something objectively true outside of ourselves because allison as you said there is something true and inside of ourselves that Mm. is to be known and i think we all know this this is why we get sad Mm. this is why we feel joy and hope it's some idea you know, start with a kid. It's some idea that I'm going to be a fighter pilot or I'm going to be a fireman or a nurse or a doctor or whatever. And we all still harbor these ideas of ourself in the future, better versions of ourselves mm-hmm. that we know we really are that person, mm-hmm. except we're not now. Well, why? Well, you know, because the person who wants to be a fighter pilot hasn't gone to flight school. Like, why haven't you gone to flight school? And then the answers to these questions, it's like, it's obvious that objective reality exists because it's obviously holding us back from manifesting what we feel so deeply inside of us. Mm-hmm. Without that, we would just be fully manifest as who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the response to that can become really good or really perverted. 
And I think a lot of what's happening on the critical theory woke side of the spectrum of thinking is saying, well, I'm not who I should be because objective reality is so evil to me, Hmm. so bad to me. It's holding me back unfairly and unjustly. Yeah, I would, I, they would definitely even use the word objective reality. I think, uh, right. I think, I think <clears throat> giving our, our premises that or axioms that we're dealing with is like, that would, as basically what they would say. It's almost as if you're saying, well, God, I didn't ask you to create me. You know, it, it's kind of feels in that, that same sort of like, yeah. that some, same sort of vein. But I mean, the kind of the postmodern view is that, you are creating your own reality and then that there's nothing, there's no reference point of what you're outside of yourself, you know? And, and I mean, it falls apart really quickly because at, at any one point, everyone starts grabbing for these like external, um, uh, reference points or, or anchors to grab onto. And some of them are very temporary. Like, okay, we're, we're going to get together and say, this set of vocabulary is good to use and everybody else who doesn't use that is not good. So we have, a, we, we, we form like a, a, a coalition of truth, you know, it's not really truth, truth, but just like, but it's true among us and anybody who violates that truth is in falsehood. And then we must expunge that falsehood. But then, uh, but at any one point, I'll say I could gang up on you and say, hey, this is what we've decided, and now you fit in that category. But there's no reference point. We're just making agreements with each other about what we believe is true. Based on values. Based on values, yeah. And values can contradict themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is truth which is socially constructed. Mm-hmm. Which there is certainly a lot of truth which is socially constructed, but I think that's a very small amount of it totally is. But I think that's why, like you see, like in, in Judaism, probably one of the most, the longest religion that has, has had such a cohesion among itself. Like you see that in the ancient, their ancient writings, as far as like how they <coughs> developed their, you know, their whole uh, religious system was that it was all symbolic of something of the, of the higher of God or of order, you know, and so they oriented their whole society around something that is symbolizing something that is beyond themselves. And so like, like no one person was the arbiter of truth. You know, they, the arbiter of truth is something that was greater than themselves. That you simply appeal to mm-hmm. as a, as a group. Yeah. You're on fire tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's because I'm really confused in this area because mm-hmm. it really, there's a lot of things in here that I'm hearing that I'm having a lot of questions about. And so when we're starting to dig into it, then it's like, you know, start thinking about, because that's the thing that bothers me the most is, is a lot of the, what is happening with a lot of postmodern thinking is it's so enticing because there's a certain relational aspect that you get by relating to others, by, by having a subjective and, relational and communal truth telling or truth accepting among yourselves 
But then there's always these fracturing that's happening within all those things because hmm. it's not based on something external or objective, whether you can know or understand that objective reality. It's, it's, it's something that is agreed upon that, uh, among people. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's enticing because virtue and righteousness can be bought at such a cheap cost. Hmm. Like you don't have to look at reality. You can just simply say what it is that you're, that is said. Yeah. You just agree with what it is that is to be agreed with. Mm -hmm. And there's a, I mean, this is why we see so many people posting, um, you know, otherwise non-political people posting what end up being very political posts on Instagram, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, people that would never have posted political stuff before who are now saying the, the, the latest say her name or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's because if they don't, then they're going to be ousted from their friend groups, you know, or, or as a, um, as a pariah because they're not signaling the, the groups, um, uh, agreed upon. Uh, yeah. They don't want to, <laughs> It's become so very in-group, out-group. I started thinking about politics in America recently as like diagnosing it as borderline personality disorder, Hmm. which is essentially to say borderline personality disorder, basically a person lives their life in such a way that everything in their life is either for them or against them. Hmm. And everything wrong with their life is is, is due to the things in their life that are against them. Hmm. So I think to some extent, both parties right now are both sides of political thought are doing this, this in group out group thing, say this or else you're out. Yeah. You're literally the worst and responsible for every ill in society. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty easy to buy in. It's very cheap. It doesn't cost you very much to you know, post a black square or to say Democrats are responsible for everything wrong in this country. Mm -hmm. So funny because it doesn't cost you anything and yet it costs you everything Mm -hmm. because like once you buy into a system that has no reference point, then you must continue to buy in and buy in and buy in. There's no, but you don't know what you're buying into because it's shifting so much. Yeah. I mean, I think of like, I, I think of, again, religious systems are very easy to look at this and, and Judaism is a really great example and uh, Christianity, Islam. It's like, there is a certain thing that you're buying into, you know, and it's, it's like, there's a, there's an agreed upon um, system you know, it's like, and then it, it kind of gets a little bit, I mean, obviously a lot of those kind of deviate into different directions and stuff like that, but at least you, you're acknowledging that there's something greater than yourself, you know, even AA, you know, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. there's something greater than myself. Well, and he even acknowledges like, you know, the, the sort of simplest phrase in Christianity is mm-hmm. that you give your life to Christ mm-hmm. or you commit your life. I mean, at least in that, you know, well, I'm giving my whole life, mm-hmm. like, the cost couldn't be higher, to be honest. Yeah. 
you know, so at least like upfront, the marketing is honest to some extent, you know, (laughs) 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 but it's not that way with social justice wokeness. You know, what are you giving? You don't really know. Mm -hmm. The cost is so cheap that you don't even need to ask to your point. Then you don't know what you're giving yourself to or where that will go. Yeah. It just, it's just so tricky. And I think like the idea of like living in, living in the truth and living a lie, you know, it's like with, it's like with most things, like when, anytime you join something or do something for the first time, there's a, there's a real excitement about it and you feel accepted and you feel Mm -hmm. known. And and I mean, you could pick anything. I mean, You know, marbles. You get accepted into a group of guys who do marbles or something like that. Why is marbles what came up first for I was you? Thinking that was like completely arbitrary. I was thinking know? about uh, <laughs> about the polar polar plunge or polar bear challenge. That's mm-hmm. what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. you could jump in the the water in the uh, middle of the winter. Michael's yeah. in. Are you in? Oh, I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's oh, uh, it's kind of a cheat here in Austin, but it's still right. really great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, well, my question is, how does one come to come to an understanding of enter into a relationship with objective reality? I would say number one is that you have to accept that there is an objective reality. And do you have a moment in your life where you made that choice? Um, I would say continually. Like, uh, I think there's like that, like as, as there was that point in my life. Um, <clears throat> but I don't think it's like, it's not just a one-time thing. It's like a continual pursuit of that. And it's like, it requires something me of me differently at different stages of my life. Have you ever denied the existence of an objective reality? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, when I was when I went crazy, for sure. Like that was a there was a certain a, a denial of objective reality, and a lot of it I didn't even know what I was doing at the time, you know, and until later, you know. Um, but I think that's the. I think without that acknowledgement that there is an objective reality, and then you can kind of go from there, um, you know. I think is you can go a lot of different directions in that space, but still doesn't mean that you're going to be what I would consider. You know, I don't think that necessarily is a require or that's a foundational requirement for a living in truth. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So acceptance of objective reality is a primary requirement for living in truth. Mm-hmm outside of yourselves mm-hmm. that you have no, you have no, uh, you can now, you can't, you cannot manipulate it. Right. And like if you try to manipulate objective reality, then you are the one who's going to lose. Like, that's what I mean by objective reality, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, but that's been my experience with that axiom too. Is like, as I find, I find that as one of my core axioms in my life, it's that, that if, if whenever I find myself in conflict with that is kind of where I tend to, um, 
I guess really the world just doesn't make sense. <laughs> if that makes sense. I've tried to work. I, so I do these, these exercises where I try to convince myself out, out, out of that, <laughs> out of that, uh, 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 perspective, you know, like, and try to like, and, and that's kind of the reason why I've really, really feel for this whole, um, postmodern, um, movement right now because it makes a lot of sense to me and there's a lot of seemingly like there's freedom like the whole chaz chop thing you know oh yes we're free and it's like we're gonna create our own thing but then they actually start doing the very thing that they were trying to (laughs) well they encounter objective reality exactly oh wait we gotta organize oh wait we need to have borders oh wait we need to (laughs) enforce those borders borders. oh wait we need trade yeah so there's a, there's a sort of objective reality that we face that's like uh, like oh um, I can't. <laughs> okay, just a quick clarifying question: gotcha. objective reality and objective truth; those are the same things. Two terms for the same concept. I would think so. Yeah. Okay. Y'all, y'all just started using them interchangeably, and so I wanted to make sure that's the same thing. I mean, I would try to think if there's any there would be any distinctions between reality and truth. I I kind of think they're the same, but. I mean, objective reality is objective truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are two descriptions of the same thing. Okay. So what would be, what is a subjective truth? What would be our experience of objective reality? So we have a subjective experience of right. something that is... But there's still something shared about that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that it is personal. Hmm. How so... Um, well, we have these, well, archetypes, for example, mm-hmm. archetypes exist because we all feel that they exist. Yeah. You know, they work in movies and stories because they work in movies and stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so the truth that we receive from them is subjective because it is located primarily in my own experience of them, mm-hmm. but it is shared. It is a uh, super personal. Mm-hmm. I think is the, the term that Eric Newman uses Yeah, that, that it is a shared truth, even though it is symbolic and not necessarily existing in objective reality as such. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it does exist in objective reality, but not in a sort of measurable, quantifiable way in the same way that gravity exists in objective reality. Could it be said that archetypes <laughs> are a are an ex, a specific specific expressions of the objective reality. Yeah, I think so. Like aspects of colors of the rainbow. The green, the red, the blue. Put them all together, it's like the rainbow. But you can encounter just the green. Well, I think there's there's very simple things about objective reality that make sense. It's like you roll that boulder over onto somebody, that person's going to die. It's like nobody needs to argue about this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's happening. We know that. Um, but I think archetypes are maybe our shared 
working out of what is in objective reality that isn't so simple. Mm-hmm. You know, why is it that walking off alone into a dark forest is dangerous? Or what is it about maleficent, malevolent, malevol- maleficent, maleficent, Mal- malevolence, Mal- not malevolence, maleficence. No, no, no. <laughs> the Sleeping Beauty and the... Uh, Maleficence, yeah. Maleficence. Yeah. No, that's not it. That's not right. Sleeping Beauty and... The Angelina Jolie character? Yeah, Maleficence. Male- <laughs> We're not saying it right. Maleficent. <laughs> Anyways, Angela Jolie. He <laughs> was like, what is it about this story that seems objectively true? Yeah. And we don't really know what it is. So we keep telling it over and over and over again because it seems objectively true. I think it's the psychological element. You know, it's like there's this, there's these psychological uh, aspects that can only come through stories. And that's whenever, when we, when we kind of like, we're drawn around these stories that are um, an expression of this objective truth. And it can only be through story. Let's see what you get. It's Maleficent. 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 Uh-huh. I think it just sounds really weird now. <laughs> it always made perfect sense to me. Maleficent. I, I, I always think of Ted Lasso now. Maleficent. Whatever. Maleficent. <laughs> the words start sounding weird to you. Uh, that's a great. That's another great example. Like the Ted Lasso story. Oh yeah. Like, it's like why was that so triumphant to watch? Mm-hmm. I mean, the outcomes are unexpected, yet the, we know kind of what they are going to be. Mm-hmm. Or, hope like, to be. or hope well, to a, be. Or hope to be. There's an inherent, like, the good wins. Like, the goodness. The good wins. The goodness wins. Mm-hmm. Ultimately. Mm-hmm. And there's something that's our nature, like, screams in agreement with, yes, yes, good wins. Hmm. love wins like mm-hmm. i think it's just so in our dna to be in agreement with that yeah and it's also a hope too because the opposite of that is destruction you know is hate is evil you know and there's there's almost an equal satisfaction in seeing evil destroyed mhm hmm. right like the enemy vanquished, mm-hmm. irreparably <laughs> destroyed, smote upon the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Preach. <laughs> what was that? Uh, Gandalf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the bell rock. <laughs> yeah, they're... Yeah, because if evil is vanquished, then what does that, what, what does that leave open now to be open to the truth, open to, gr- to new growth, new potential? Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think it's a transition out of survival mode into, into actual potential. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really fascinating. So, so let me see if I, I'm getting you right here. Cause you just kind of, hope, well, I don't want to talk too much cause I'll, I'll forget it. Um, <laughs> I already did. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> No, switch from survival mode into potential. Like, that's really fascinating because I think when I'm, when I'm looking at kind of a lot of things that are going on right now, a lot of people are acting out of almost like a survival mode. And I don't think that's the right word I'm looking for, but 
it's like to to vanquish an enemy that the, that that we that no one knows what it is and it's like there's a survival aspect to it mm-hmm. and i think that's where mlk's vision was different which was about loving your neighbor you know it's about not judging somebody by the the color of their skin but by their character you know so there's a sort of like there's a sort of falseness that we're we're reacting out of um, a survival mode type of um, uh, response orientation orientation well yeah and I think we are and I think in some ways we can't not be in survival mode mm-hmm. when that is psychologically true hmm. but I I feel like the ache and the possibility of living not in that mode is hardwired in each of us. Yeah, we all desperately want freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, to go back to, I mean, archetypes, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden. Yeah. Like, they were, there was an, a design that they, they worked, they built, they created, they, um, they cultivated, they, Made. they were busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were busy using their potential unencumbered by threat, the need for security, the need for provision, then like all of our basic human needs that we now have to endure. So I feel like, there's something in us ancient mm. that is aching always to get to that place of I get to be truly my potential. Like mm-hmm. I get to create, I get to build, I get to sing, dance, garden without the hardship of life, the suffering. Yeah. Um, I think we're all also intensely curious about who that might be. Right. Like if you were the fullest expression of who you sense you might be, who would that person be? Right. And well, and the greatest tragedy I think for me as a Christian is feeling like I can't be that person until heaven. Like I have to endure this life and then heaven. And after death, then I get to go because I have lived as best I could in relationship with this objective reality. Then I get to this place where I finally get to be unencumbered by suffering. And the thing that gets me there is death. Like, I don't buy that. I I feel like that's not the message. The message is actually, no, now I can, by choosing to live in truth, by choosing to see the deception that is woven around my life, that I have woven around myself, I can actually begin to access and live out of that part of me Mm -hmm. that is pure, creative energy. I would almost say like it is like that 
that has driven our evolution. Like that, what you're talking about, like the archetype of Adam and Eve. It's like, I feel like that's something that's, that's deep within our development and sort of like, cause you see that whenever man starts to like encounter something that's other, you know? Um, cause when you were, you were saying that it really makes sense to me as far as like, Oh shoot. I don't know if I can get there. Um, this like creative aspect of wanting this sort of like unencumberedness from, you know, these limitations that are around us, like mm-hmm. sin and that kind of stuff are, you know, in religious terms and stuff like that. But be, to be unencumbered by untruth, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's why, again, Jesus's message was so powerful in that he said, like, it's done. Like there is, you, you don't have to be encumbered by that anymore, you know, other than, you know, like most religions, it's already, you have to work your way to this, you know, it's like, or you're a product of your biology. And I think that's why that message specifically has had so much power over the years, because it's like, it's like, no, that's, it's done. Like you can live unencumbered because you don't have that, that ceiling on you. And I feel like that's something that you can see, like, especially through Judaism and into like, into Christianity, that sort of shift and transformation, um, into that and building into that sort of like, uh, that idea of living in the truth and the truth will set you free. But, but you can always kind of like allow the, to be encumbered by your more basic desires and protection and, um, uh, fear and that kind of stuff. Did that kind of make sense? There's something about that, like that, that's sort of like a driving aspect of, of um, being untethered to those things, as you said, fear. I mean, I think that that would be an experience of having all of your needs met. Mm-hmm. We are born needy and we are never not full of needs yeah. in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so... all of our needs are met then what do you get to do what limitations are there you know mm-hmm. what's well, interesting because like because uh, like we're what you're talking about is not you're not saying that with all your needs are met like two cars in the garage uh no those two are wants. fridges those are wants yeah that's what that's that but i feel like that's like that there's a good distinction there and like what is it what is that what is a more, where does it go from the, your needs to your wants? Like what's the, what's that mm-hmm. distinction? If that makes sense. Right. <clears throat> well, I mean, I think that's the inner work of, of building self-awareness hmm. of building, cultivating truth within yourself in relationship to that objective reality. Hmm. Or in Christian terms, it's almost like that's the idea of cultivating the spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the <clears throat> the seeing that your needs are met on a very foundational level from a higher power is mm-hmm. that that's the whole idea of sort of cultivating that spirit within you. Right, right. Well, and I would describe it like recently, like what I've been going through, I f- it felt like 
I feel like that that is in us always. This that desire for living unencumbered to live as if my need all my needs are met by this higher power. I feel like that is actually in us all, like buried in our subconscious. Mm-hmm. And like at that counseling session a couple of weeks ago, what I felt like happened is that the reality of my needs being met within myself through that my relationship with God, through that relationship with truth, like rose up into my consciousness hmm. in a way that has never before. Mm-hmm. And I begin to experience, I'm beginning to experience my daily self uh, like the pa- all the pa- old patterns are still there, my patterns of thought and patterns of behavior, but I have new choices around it because I realize, oh, I can't actually be okay. Hmm. I don't actually need to create stability in this relationship with you and you and you in order to be okay in me. Hmm. And that is just a new, it's like it's swelled up into my consciousness. Yeah. I feel like it's always been here. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were saying earlier about having a truth inside of you that needs to be known? Yeah. Despite whatever objective truth may also be in play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I, I mean, and this is in the Enneagram. This is, I, I just felt the Enneagram's a really useful tool. <laughs> but we, we do. We are, I feel like, you know, and I've said this before in the podcast, I feel like we have a design that is perfect and whole. And it's our responsibility, even. <laughs> To come into alignment with, with how we're designed, with our ultimate potential, and it's buried because of the brokenness of the world that we're in. We have to like dig it out. It doesn't just, it doesn't just manifest because we're in a world where we have to survive. Let me throw something out here because, like, when you said that, there's something. There's a distinction that I don't know if is actually there, but I, I want to see what y'all think about this. Um, because like, like you're you're saying like you know the idea of like with us being designed and it's all there, and I kind of wonder if it's if that's is true in a extended form. So like like there's this there's this design to human beings that's being actualized. And it's like, it's our, it's our role in our, uh, something that's been given to us in this time and in this generation to develop in order for the next generation to have something even more deeper and more profound. But there's something that is, that is sort of like destined for our time that we're to actualize and that we actually can't actualize something that is our kids or our kids' kids, but we're responsible for actualizing that. And I, th- I, I feel like I've seen that. Um, I see that in so much of history and philosophical thought, science, like there's, there's this, there's all these things that you see this sort of evolution of human beings that was, is sort of embedded in the archetypes 
of our our ancient you know ancestors and stuff like that um but it's it's it if you go back and you look at it in a real way you can just see that it was actually buried way back there and but the actualization of it is is, is has this progression into something more does that does that kind of i'm kind of just throwing a, a that just it's kind of was a thought i had or something my head is in a lot of different places. I think I'll respond. Yeah. Yes, that makes sense to me, and mm-hmm. and here's why. Yeah. So I grew up Christian, and Allison, what you were saying about sort of not wanting to accept that your full actualization is in heaven, and the way to get to heaven is to die, is through death. Like I've got to live through this whole life just to get to who I really am. Mm-hmm. And I remember being sort of taught the same thing. Mm. You got to kind of sludge through, right? And try to be a good person. And, you know, your, your, your acts matter, but you're saved too. And so, you know, but eventually you'll get to heaven. It'll be great, right. right? Do your best to follow the rules until the end. I think that that was a, that's not right. And I think that was your point. Mm-hmm. It's not right. And I think when I finally discovered that wasn't right, I felt a little upset. <laughs> really? How so? Well, like, why was I being taught this? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not directly, but may- maybe in somehow, somehow indirectly. But, I mean, the Bible also says the kingdom of heaven is here and now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe we're taught that previous version because what the hell does that mean? Mm-hmm. The kingdom of heaven is here and now. What the fuck are you talking about? Are you serious? <laughs> like, look around you, dude. <laughs> um but I've had this mental image that I've, I'm trying to figure out what to do with, which is that time is a really big problem for us as humans, conceptually. We don't know what to make of it, because who are we? Are you whoever you felt like as a child? Are you who you feel like now? Are you who you imagine that you could be at its best? Are you also who you imagine you could be at its worst? Like, you're all of these things. The problem is time. You are, whoever you are in your full manifestation is laid across time. And I think Hmm. this is why the kingdom of heaven is here and now. It is manifest. And I'm trying to come up with some analogy and so i imagined a like a pipe long pipe say 10 feet or so and you can look down it left to right it has a length it has measurable length it has measurable characteristics if you slice those lengths into subdivisions um but if you pick up the pipe and you look down it you don't really see the length of it Hmm. you just see the circle it's like this with a movie. You can sit through a three-hour, you know, Peter Jackson epic and watch Lord of the Rings or whatever and watch all three back-to-back. And you go through a lot of emotions as you watch it, but at the end you have an idea of what the whole thing is hmm. because you're at the end. I mean, being laid across time is necessary for storytelling. It's also necessary for somehow, some, for reasons I don't understand, for us to be who we are. We are no less who we are now than we will be 
when we reach the kingdom of heaven or whatever the end may be conceptualized as. I mean, I think this is what you're talking about of digging in the past, mm-hmm. digging down to try to figure out what that was. You know, I can play that exercise now and I sh- we surely will play it again in five years. And even at the end, when we are hopefully fully manifest, we will still be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think all the while we were always who we were. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking back, we just see the circle. Yeah. We don't see the subdivisions of time. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a really weird concept and mind-blowing so. to me. But yeah. I mean, do you take anything from that weird monologue? It was over my head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it just didn't make sense. I mean, that's fine. Well, no, I, wait, let me see if I, 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 like whenever you're talking about like, cause it's almost like as if you have like this, uh, uh, if you took like a, a, like a, what do you call it? When people do those dissections and they take a little tiny slices of it, like your brain, and then they put it on digital and it's like you're actually traveling through the brain, but you're looking at slices of the brain, like MRIs and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So I kind of thought about it like that. But if you take a slice of yourself throughout history, and then you look through this that circle, you see the you see the whole brain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you where like if you're looking at it full on, it's like you're only seeing a slice where you you might see a piece of the uh, the amygdala or the thalamus or the you know whatever it might be, but when you look at it through the through the lens, it's like you actually see the whole brain as a whole, like a whole person, you know. Yeah. That's extended through time, so so that makes sense to me. It's actually that's uh, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> like I was thinking of that too. Is like as far as you look at the human species too, you know, it's like you know if you look at us like through that circle through time back millions of years ago. Like, I feel like that is a story of the archetypes of religion is sort of like, you see this progression of man wrestling with Mm -hmm. this, this something that is greater than themselves and acknowledging something that is more and that we've come, you know, it's like, you know, I think the Judeo Christian uh, explanations are, 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 perform a really great job of explaining this progression, you know, and I think it's, there's some things that are really crucial to that in that area, but the circle, the circle, the great circle, <laughs> the Ouroboros, Ouroboros. There you go. It's the, the, the classic mythical mythological imagery of the mm-hmm. snake eating its own tail. Yeah. The birth of consciousness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I made a note to myself to try to like write about that and see if I can make some more sense out of oh, it. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I have a question that maybe I'll leave us on back to try to circle us back to the truth. Are we at the end already? I know we did. This is, this is kind of a little bit of a, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you get fired up right around the, like we've been trying to do one hour episodes and right about an hour. You're like, all right, I'm in, I'm ready to go. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Well, okay. So here's a question. So I think she just needs to be, she wants to be invited back. She's like, no, no. <laughs> Totally You're I always welcome involved. back. I'm always, you are. Thank you. Go uh-huh. ahead. Um, okay, so I have a question. A yes or no. 
response. That sounds like the Supreme Court hearings. I know. <laughs> yes or no will do. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm trying to trap you. <laughs> um, yes, Senator Harris. <laughs> okay, so yes or no question. Is there something that you need to tell the truth about? Me? Both of you. <laughs> he just looked at me. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I don't know. You nodded your head. Yes. <laughs> well, always. There's something to tell you about. Do you mean right now in this moment? No. I mean, if you'd like to, fine. But I, I asked the question because I think it's one of these questions that I suspect that you can't ask yourself. Like, you can't sort of sit down alone and say, is there something I need to tell the truth about? And honestly say no. Like very few of us, I think, oh, would yeah. encounter that. I think, totally. I think if we honestly ask ourselves, is there something I need to tell the truth about? And I think that if you're stuck ever yeah. in some place, in any sort of, sort of depression or anxiety, or I, I don't know, it's, this isn't a cure for those ails necessarily, but I just think it's really interesting that at any given time I can sit down and ask myself, should I tell the, is there something that I'm not telling the truth about that I need to? And the answer will always be yes. My brain will always instantly serve it up to me. It's like, there's never any lack of that. See, when you said that I was, I took it more as like, what truth do I need to face? And that, yeah. And so like, like, when you said that, I was just like, oh my gosh, well, what category? And so it's sort of like, you know. Oh, I do mean that. <laughs> that's what I, yeah. kinda, I kinda, When you said that, like, I kind of froze up. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, too many. Then, too, I like, ah. Yeah, I don't mean it like, is there something you're lying about that you need yeah. to tell the truth about? I mean, uh, I, I think that's what I'm trying to bring our attention yeah. to, mm-hmm. is that telling the truth isn't about not lying. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I asked that, when I thought of that question midway through this episode, to ask y'all, mm-hmm. I have an answer for that. And mm-hmm. I feel convicted by it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to share it on the podcast, but it blows my mind that I can simply ask myself a simple question. Is there something I should tell the truth about? And whatever is inside of me, consciousness or spirit or brain neurons, whatever it is, just goes, yep, there it is. Hmm. Like... I have a harder time decide, deciding what to eat for dinner. You know, like I ask myself, what should uh-huh. I eat for dinner? Uh-huh. And there's this complex working <laughs> of like anxiety and arguing and like, just, I don't even care. Maybe I won't even eat, you know, but you ask yourself a question like that. Mm-hmm. Like, is there something you should tell the truth about? And there's none of that. Like mm-hmm. your body just goes, yep, there it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. But also so hopeful. Yeah to know that again i feel like it points to our wiring our design is to be free mm-hmm. part of you is like yes i am aching to be free <laughs> to be unencumbered by whatever webs of falsehood i have constructed to be able to deny to be able to tamp down or disregard or push under the rug, whatever that thing is. It's like, that takes a lot of energy actually. And part of you is like, Oh, I'm so ready mm-hmm. to stop having to like, <laughs> yeah. Use that energy. I mean, this is the vanquishing of evil. Right. Stop using that energy mm-hmm. and put it towards something else. 
whether that's rest or creating something new. Mm-hmm. So kind of, oh. telling the truth takes a tremendous amount of courage. Yeah. Well, I think I feel like that way with this, the lunacy around all this, uh, you know, the critical race theory and subjective subjectivity and postmodernism. It's just sort of like, it's like, I'm ready just to be done with that. Like, why is this such a, like a, a thing and to get into the creative aspects of creating something, you know, that's not divisive. Like when I went back and listened to our one episode and, um, you said some really, uh, great things about like, you know, it's we, the people and stuff like that. And, Hmm. and, uh, and then you made me think of, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, uh, one nation, you know, not, not one divided under many, you know, gods, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's one nation under one God, like a a grand principle, a universal principle. It was right there in the pledge, Mm -hmm. one nation indivisible. Yeah. We're right now we're trying to be divisive Mm -hmm. and dividing under nothing. Yeah. We should probably leave it. I just took right. it. I just took it. I just took it on a, on a, was, yeah, my, on a negative note. Honestly, Sorry. my truth yeah, my is truth. that I don't want to talk politics right now. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> that, well, okay. Well, maybe maybe we can close with this. Just okay. a thought. Um, like it already. <laughs> an I am statement. Meaning, meaning, I like make a statement of I am blunt. And then blop? say and blop. <laughs> and I'm definitely blop. blop. I am blop. <laughs> and then I say, am Groot. <laughs> <laughs> and then say say the truth about yourself. Oh, now I'm just thinking about Groot. I love how Groot. There we go. You're ruining it. I know. I am. I am afraid. Hmm. Hmm. But I think that the way through the fear is to face it and tell the truth about it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yours? Oh, so many. Um, I am vital. Hmm. Damn right. Yeah. It's a new one for me. How about you? So horrible at these things. <laughs> Just got to go with gut feel. What does your What does your body serve up to you? Oh no, I can't do it. Uh, I am. I feel like you already had one and you dismissed it. No. Uh. Yeah, I just cycled through. I don't know. <laughs> There's lots of things that are true about you. Pick one. Pick one. See, I'm so bad at this. I, I, that just that just okay, freezes okay. me up. But do you? But you realize you can like speak truth about all kinds of things. Uh huh. And you're a thing. So speak I a truth. I am a thing. <laughs> so speak a truth about Michael Vaclov. I'm gonna have to pass. I can't do it. <laughs> I don't think we can allow that. No. <laughs> well, One that, word. I know. I can't do it. It's 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 so. It doesn't have to be completely defining. It can be a piece. It can be a moment in time. 
this is the whole point I was trying to make about being laid across time. Like whatever it is that you feel now is not all of who you are. Oh, so it just, this just complicates things for me even more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm genuinely surprised. Really? Yeah. Oh, why? Well, because you're you're not a person that doesn't know himself. No, he's not. Well, I, that's the thing. Is like for me, it's like I I can't ever say like I am this thing. It's like to me, it's more of like. But there are things about you that have always been true and that will always be true. Mm-hmm. Maybe we, you and I could both do one for him. <laughs> I, I'll just I'll, like I'll that's that's defeating the, the purpose. I'll, I'll settle with this one. I am a seeker. Hell yeah! Absolutely, you definitely are. And always will be. It's very true. <laughs> I love that about you. Shores of ignorance, baby. Whew, it took 15 minutes. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Right. Thanks Cheers. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Love you guys. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> the whole episode. Just to get Michael saved. Right. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> it's so fun to hold the episode and put Michael in the hot seat. <laughs> That's two weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm like fucking sweating right now. <laughs> What did I tell you about whose podcast this is? I mean, I was gonna let y'all know. I'm like, yeah, you're right.